the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Any other factors not available in all states. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You must decide what you want. You must decide 
what you want. Do you want the world and the church? Do you want revival? Do you want life in Jesus? Or do you want a sentimental, half-hearted, cold-hearted, intellectual following after the concepts of the Christian faith? You have to decide what you want. Your behavior will determine what you're going to get. So you have to know where you're going and don't take it for granted. And so the question we come today on Pilgrim's Progress Raising is literally, what are you going to do about Jesus? And if you want revival, how do you begin to pray for revival? How do you pray for revival in a way that you will be effective? I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel, and with me in the studio, my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. We're going to go deep. We're going to talk about the real stuff, and you have to decide what you want. Now, we have invited a number of people to join us and pray with us for revival. And most have not been interested. Oh, they want revival. But they're not willing to pay the price for revival. And there is a price that we must pay. And we're going to share how to walk through that today. In James, the fourth chapter... This is James, the head of the New Testament church in Jerusalem. He's writing to his congregation. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. 
Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, this passage of scripture in James, the fourth chapter, correctly identifies what's going to be necessary if we're going to have revival. Remember the definition of revival. A new beginning of obedience to God. God comes with great conviction. He turns our hearts. How does all this happen? Just wanted to chime in here. So this beginning of chapter 4 of James, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. I've, I think I can safely say I've only been in one church in my life where this wasn't the state of the church. And that was when I was at a house church in Mexico. And I was blessed the Lord just really opened up for me to meet these people. I was not expecting to meet them. And I had never before seen a group of Christians that was actually a family. So what I mean by that is they weren't physically related to each other, but they had such a love in their hearts for each other that whenever they weren't working, they were together. They gathered in each other's homes, and they just had this very gentle and tender affection for each other. And they, the way they would cook and serve each other was just incredible. You could just feel the Holy Spirit present. But what, we, what I've seen in pretty much every other church I've been to is I have seen division, you know, one person is offended at another person in the church, and instead of just talking to them about it, they talk to everybody else about it. There's perhaps long-standing feuds. Um, both people blame the other person. No one wants to take responsibility for what they've done wrong. Um, so this is actually what we're witnessing. This isn't just about some mysterious group and we read this passage and we're like who is this about this is most likely about your church and so the question you have to ask yourself there's a number of questions which is are you asking for things with wrong motives i i often meet people who are praying for say a spouse a husband or a wife and yet their motives don't seem to be the glory of god or the coming of his kingdom. And some I've even I even knew one man who said to me, "Well, if I did get married, I wouldn't come to this meeting anymore because I would be spending time with my wife." That's so that's clearly a wrong motive, although it he did not see it that way. So what I'm trying to convey here is as you read these scriptures, there's a good chance that it is actually describing your church and possibly you. So don't just gloss over this stuff, but actually take the, take the time and ask yourself as you read, you know, am I covetous? Am I fighting with people or quarreling with others or holding resentments in my heart because I'm not getting what I want? If so, that is a block for revival. 
And that's why when we get to verse 7, 8, and 9, we see the remedy for this, which is to give up double-mindedness, to cleanse one's heart, to grieve and mourn and weep, as you see how evil that type of heart attitude is in the sight of a holy God. And there will be no revival in a church or among a people who refuse to deal with the reality of their own heart condition. So, what's the first step? Yes, so our first step, as we've as we've alluded to, we find it also in Psalm 66, 18, which reads, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So before we just say, all right, let's put together a prayer meeting for revival, we first have to say, okay, am I regarding iniquity in my heart? In other words, is there sin that would short circuit my prayers to God? So Dr. Tory commented on this verse, and he said, Sin is an awful thing, and one of the most awful things about it is the way that it hinders prayer, the way it severs the connection between us and the source of all grace and power and blessing. Anyone who would have power in prayer must be merciless in dealing with his own sins. And I've often seen and been a part of prayer groups where we spent all night praying for revival and God did not answer us. There was no quickening. And I used to wonder why we spent all night praying, night after night praying, and God did not answer. Why didn't God answer? The missionaries in the Solomon Islands, if you recall, we read about the revival there in 1936, this is what they concluded before they started praying for revival. They saw that they had been ignoring the sin in their own attitudes, such as rivalry, pride in its many forms, fear, and unbelief. This is very similar to the list we just read in James chapter 4. So the missionaries in the Solomon Islands thought these things were unimportant or even unavoidable. So they thought, you know, God doesn't really, this doesn't really bother God. You know, I'm not committing any gross sins, so I'm fine. But what they found was all of their missionary efforts were failing and they weren't bearing any fruit. And so they really started to take an honest look at, well, is this pride? Is this fear? Is this rivalry? Is this really a block to God? And they found that these things weren't unimportant and they weren't unavoidable. So they realized that they were sin and they should be dealt with as any other sin in our lives. And the way that we deal with that sin in our lives is first through confession and then making restitution. Many times I've, I've been in a church where we prayed earnestly for revival. The problem was there was no personal confession of sin. Everyone wanted to assume that everybody else was okay, and that meant I didn't have to deal with my sin. And so brokenness between people, bitterness, pride, anger, old wrongs not made right, 
and you come in now and you begin to pray for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not going to come in revival to a people who are unwilling to humble their heart, grieve and mourn and even wail. They're unwilling to get down to the bottom issues of their heart, their personal issues, and pray those out and confess them. You see, if we come together to pray for the coming power of the Holy Spirit, if we're unwilling to humble our hearts before our brothers and sisters, you might as well go home because nothing's going to happen. Yes, and another area where our thinking can get fuzzy, I'm sure you've heard this and you may have even said it yourself, that confessing a sin to God is all that's necessary. So that may be true if it's a secret sin that's only known to you and God, but look at what Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says. It says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remember that thy brother hath aught, meaning anything, against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And in all honesty, there are times when people have rejected you, when they've turned their back upon you, and there is nothing that you can say or do that would cause them to reconcile with you. You did what the Lord called you to do. They rejected you, and they rejected what God called you to do and passed judgments. And if they don't want to talk with you, you cannot reconcile that. But many things can be reconciled. Pride, anger, harsh words, cursing, judgments. Letting someone hang when they needed your help. Not being there to help, not keeping your word, not keeping your vows. Saying you would be on time and then coming 45 minutes late. These kinds of things have to be confessed and dealt with, or the presence of God will not come. And you at least need to try to reconcile with the person and take, you know, take your share of the blame for what you did and as Pastor Ray said you can't force someone to reconcile with you but you need to make your best effort so that you have a clear conscience with God that you know that you did what you could you humble your heart before God that's really the issue mm -hmm. so when you come to begin to pray for revival you are literally asking that the Holy Spirit come down out of heaven and manifest himself among you. Now, that didn't work out so well for Ananias and Sapphira. No, it didn't. The presence of the Holy Spirit took their lives because they were lying to him. So it's a frightening thing to determine that you are going to pray for revival and you're not going to back away from it. You're going to press in and press in and press in until the Lord hears you. When you make that kind of a, a determination, 
you must always begin by unearthing the fallow ground. You must begin by confessing and repenting and making everything right that you can possibly make right with others. So we're just to reviewing here. The first step in praying for revival is to make sure that you have repented of, forsaken all of your sin, and then made restitution to those necessary. So just to clarify, there's three basic types of sin. So there's secret sin, which is known only between you and God. So generally, it is sufficient for you to confess this in your private prayer closet, to put it under the blood, and know that you're clean. If you've sinned against somebody else, as we just read, the scriptures are, pl are plain that it is vain for us to pray if we're conscious that we've injured another person. So first, we have to make amends to the person we've hurt before we approach God, either in private or in public prayer. Now, the third type of sin is public sin. So the only way that you can truly deal with public sin is by public confession. And it's true that this is a form of crucifixion that is humiliating and embarrassing. But the fact is, we have sinned publicly, and that is a willful disobedience that has shamed the name of Jesus. And the price that we pay because of that must be a public confession. Now, when you come to a prayer group, and you've all agreed you're going to pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. One of the first tests needs to be, have you taken time for each person to be addressed? Do you have any secret sin in your heart? Do you have any things that you're doing or saying that you have a check in your spirit about, a habit that you're not quite sure about? Each needs to be talked about. Yes, and so, for example, if you find that when you go to pray, there's something that keeps coming to your mind, that's the Holy Spirit telling you that you need to resolve that. Or if as you read the scriptures, there's something that keeps coming to your mind, then that's the Holy Spirit telling you that you need to resolve that. So if you come to a prayer group, but you enjoy smoking cigars, or you enjoy your alcohol, or you enjoy other kinds of worldly things. The scriptures are very clear. Do not love the world, the flesh, or the devil. Um, it has to be turned away from. So the Holy Spirit's not going to come to a man who is walking in the worldly lust of the flesh. Yes, and Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 2, says this in a very plain and frankly frightening way. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You've probably seen the second half of this verse on gospel tracks directed towards total unbelievers. But as you can see when you read the whole passage, this is directed at those who profess to know God, 
and it's saying the Lord's hand is not too short to save. God can bring revival and he's willing to do it. His ears aren't heavy that he can't hear our prayers. The problem is there is hidden sin that has separated professing Christians from God that has caused God to hide his face from us and he won't hear our prayers until we deal with that sin. So we've settled into a comfortable truce in the Christian church in America where we make it an event and we attend and listen and watch and then go home. That's not the church. The church is not an event. The church is a people, a family of God. And so as you come together to begin to pray for revival, you must do a careful heart searching. And then the entire group must do a careful heart searching before you are eligible to enter into the throne room of God and begin praying for revival. Yes, and I wanted to encourage you, if as you're hearing this broadcast, you're saying, yeah, there are definitely some things that I've never apologized for, and I'm, af I'm afraid of what will happen. Uh, perhaps you've stolen something, and you're afraid that you'll be arrested if you try to make restitution. I'm not sure what you've done, but there is some consolation, which is that if you are feeling pressed by the Holy Spirit to go and make something right, or to ask for forgiveness, God usually will go ahead of you and work in the heart of the other person so that the person you've hurt is ready to receive you in a way that you hadn't imagined. I know this from my own personal experience. There were some things I had to confess to my mother that I'd lied to her about when I was a teenager. And I was really just nervously racked for like weeks before I talked to her and I was praying about it you know I wrote out everything I needed to say and then finally I was praying and I was just like I need to call my mom right now and she just my mom is not a Christian but she just received me with a very forgiving spirit that I was really grateful for we see this in the scripture if you remember when Jacob's brother Esau was coming to meet him Jacob was frightened and he knew that Esau wasn't coming by himself, but with 400 men. But God did something in Esau's heart. And when they met, Esau was so happy to see his brother that he actually hugged Jacob. Now, the flip side of this is if you still don't have the courage to straighten up a sin in your life, it would be better for you to decline participating in a prayer meeting. Because your sin, which you're conscious of and which you refuse to deal with, will short-circuit the whole group's prayer. You see this in the book of Joshua in chapter 7. The man named Achan took an accursed thing and buried it in his tent. And as a result, when Israel went up to fight against the enemy, many people were killed. Many men of Israel were killed because of this one man's sin. And then Joshua was lying on his face, not knowing what had happened, devastated, feeling like the Lord had left them. And the Lord said, why are you lying on your face? Israel has sinned. And then they were commanded to figure out who had sinned. And they even had to stone this man to death. 
to put away the sin. Now, I thank God that in the new covenant, we don't have to stone people to death, but we do need to have that clear line in our meeting of, okay, I have gotten clean with God. And if you have not gotten clean with God, you can't be part of the group. So we begin at an uncomfortable place. And perhaps this is why so little prayer is given asking for the Holy Spirit to come. Because you can pray for years and have nothing happen. And the reason nothing happens is because you have not been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus or others in that group have not been washed and cleansed. The arm of God is not too short. God can save. And he's eager to send his Holy Spirit. But we live in a very, very rebellious day when everyone wants to be a consumer of religion. The sentiment is enjoyable. The friendships are enjoyable. The social life is enjoyable. The events are entertaining. But God is not there. Yes, and something that helped me see this as I was just praying and thinking about it, Christ died for the church, and it's his first and foremost desire to come and live in his people and to have the gifts of the Spirit flowing through us, to continuously have people being added to the church, to have a loving, holy people. So it's not like God is unwilling and we're just at his mercy of whether or not he chooses to answer our prayers. But the first and foremost desire of God's heart is actually to be living in his people like we see in the book of Acts. Now, what helped me understand how God feels grieved by sin is I thought about my bed. And I would not want to climb into a dirty bed at night and go to sleep in it. If my bed had a bunch of lice, if it had a lot of dirt in it, if it was really sweaty and smelly... I wouldn't even get in the bed, much less try to sleep in it. And that helped me see God is looking for a place of rest and he just won't go somewhere that's unclean. So it's our responsibility to purify ourselves so that God can fulfill the desire of his heart, which is to come live in us. Well, let's read that in the scriptures. Yes. First John, the third chapter. I'm going to read more than one verse because I want you to have the whole context. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us <clears throat> that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So it's my job to do this self-examination, to bring it before the Lord, and to turn from every evil and wicked thing. 
to turn aside from all doubtful habits. It's my responsibility to make certain that I am clean by the power of the blood of Jesus. And it's my responsibility to make sure that every other person who comes to pray is likewise washed and made clean. He continues. This is 1 John 3, verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness or rebellion. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. I was speaking last night with a dear friend who is a bishop in the Anglican Church. And we were speaking about this passage. And he said, Ray, you can understand this passage in a Greek way or in a Hebrew way. If you understand it in a Greek way, it's legalistic and it's harsh. But if you understand the heart of Jesus, he was a Hebrew. And he's speaking about those who continually walk in that sin. Now, I hope you're hearing today that any sin that you're walking in, you no longer have to walk in that sin. You can put it away by the power of the blood. Jesus has given us victory over sin. You cannot pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit while you walk in bitterness and anger, while you continue to walk in your sin. You are not eligible for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If he came, you would die. You would be lying to the Holy Spirit, even as Ananias and Sapphira were. I hope you hear today how, how vital it is for your own safety that you not play with God. He continues, No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So he's saying, look, you can be a part of the church. You can call yourself a Christian. But if you're continuing to walk in your sin, you don't know Jesus because he's clean and he wants to wash you clean. So John Wesley, in his class meetings, had a series of questions that he would ask at the beginning of every class meeting. He wanted to know, during the past week, did you sin against God in any way? And if so, what have you done about it? Were you tempted, and did you gain the victory? How did you gain the victory? He wanted those live demonstrations of God's grace in your life. So we're praying for revival. But he says, Dear children, this is verse 7, Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. No one will continually walk in sin if they have been born of God. The devil's work was to be destroyed in your life. So be, before you begin to pray for revival, make certain you're washed and clean. So now shall we talk about how to actually pray for revival? Yes. Okay. So the first thing you should know is that you don't have to try to rouse up your whole church to join you in praying for revival, which is an encouragement. So if you recall the stories we've been sharing of revival on the air, these revivals always begin in the hearts of a few men and women who've been aroused by the Spirit of God to believe in Him as a living God who answers prayer, and they have received a burden from God that they cannot rest from until they have prevailed in prayer and God has answered. So you will have discovered this. You can't explain to someone or make them see the need for revival. They either are in a place spiritually where they see it or they don't. So if you are blessed to have such like-minded people around you, you can go and speak to them. But perhaps there's no one around you who feels the way you do. You might be sitting here listening to this broadcast saying, no one in my church feels like there's any need for revival. They all think I'm crazy when I try to talk about it. Everyone thinks they're fine. Okay, so the good news is that you can begin praying alone for revival. Amen. He might, the Lord might bring you to others who are interested, but he might not. So we have a good example with David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the American Indians, and he prayed alone for revival. He was out there all by himself, and entire villages of men, women, and children all turned to the Lord. And if you remember, we shared yesterday, James Fraser in Burma was praying alone. He had a few relatives in England who were praying for him. And 20,000 people in Burma came to the Lord. So if you should find yourself where you have one or two or three neighbors, friends, church goers who have an interest in prayer for revival, then you can start a meeting with them. Now, it's good in a way that it's a small meeting probably because that's more flexible. It's easier to find a time when you can all get together and meet. So you can meet anywhere that you can freely express yourself in prayer. Maybe your church has a prayer room. You could meet in one of your living rooms. Um, some libraries even have study rooms that you can rent out where you won't be disturbed. But just the Lord will open the place for you to pray. And as we said earlier, don't feel like you need to try to get as many as people as possible to come to the prayer meeting because you could unknowingly have somebody in your meeting who's in some pretty serious sin and that's going to short circuit your prayers. So you might be wondering, well, what should we actually do in the meeting? So some people will feel like they should start the prayer time with a short devotional time, which is fine. But you don't want that to consume the prayer meeting. So you, 
the devotional time, you first want it to be focused on the actual subject of prayer. So you don't want to have a devotional that's, say, about uh, one topic that's not related to revival. Perhaps, um, do you have like one that just jumps into your mind? Maybe you have a devotional about like how the lepers were cleansed. There's a good devotional I read by Charles Spurgeon about the cleansing of the lepers. Okay, well, that's interesting and that's profitable, but that's not what the prayer meeting's about. The prayer meeting's about praying for revival. So it might be helpful to have a scripture or several scriptures about revival. You could read a short story of revival that will inspire and encourage people to pray. Um, but you want to have the main bulk of your time be the actual prayer time. So perhaps you're wondering, well, should I kneel down during the time of prayer? If you want, you can kneel down, you can lie down. Um, if you recall Father Nash, who worked with Charles Finney, he would often gather two or three other Christians together to pray before Finney came into an area. And they would pray on their faces. They would just lie down on the floor and pray. Moses uh, prayed sitting on a rock when he when Israel was fighting Amalek. Jonah was inside of a whale when he was praying. So the actual physical position is not so important unless you have a specific unction that you should pray a certain way. Another question is, well, should everyone pray at the same time? What about interjecting things like amen? or other short phrases during the prayer time. So I have found that it's really helpful, actually, when you're praying, if other people in the group, you know, will encourage you in prayer by saying amen or adding a short interjection, because then you know that you're all in agreement and you know that you're on like a good theme of prayer. So once you've started to reach a kind of harmony in your prayer times, you might want to decide how often you want to meet like on a more regular basis. So for example, the brethren in the Hebrides revival in Scotland, they prayed three nights a week. In the first revival in Congo in the 1920s, they fasted and prayed every Friday evening. In Korea, the Methodist and Presbyterian missionaries originally decided to meet for one hour a day, but they felt like that wasn't enough. So they began to meet from 4 to 6 p.m. every day. And then in a matter of weeks, a lightning bolt of revival came to Korea. Now there's a few things you can do that will cripple a prayer meeting. So one of those is long, drawn-out prayers where nobody else can get a word in and you're just like praying of everything that comes into your mind. So keep your prayers like short, sharp, and sweet is a good way to think of it. You want to stay really focused on asking for a specific thing. Um, for example, Jesus said, if you ask for a stone, God won't give you, I mean, if you ask for a fish, God won't give you a stone. So in other words, if we're praying for revival in the National Prayer Chapel, we're not going to expect God to answer by sending a revival to a different church but we expect to receive the, the very things we ask for. So we need to ask for specific things. And not only ask, but believe that he has answered our prayer. 
Yes. And we wait upon him for that answer to be made manifest to us. And a good scripture for that is 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, This is the confidence which we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have obtained the request made of him. So we pray in accord with the scripture, in accord with his will, in accord with his promises. Uh, if we were to look, um, let me just look it up very quickly. In the book of Peter, uh, let me read this for you. Um, have to find it quick. Um, Second Peter, the first chapter, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Yes, yeah, so in summary, the reason why it's good to have these short, focused prayers is first of all, so God can actually answer them. God is probably not going to answer a general prayer, and if he does, you won't even know that he's answered. But it's also helpful for the other people in the meeting. These kinds of short, focused, powerful prayers tend to invigorate the meeting and help others to pray. It's also considerate because it gives everyone a chance to pray. And so you can kind of pray in turns, you know, so give everyone a chance to pray and then you can pray a second time, a third time, a fourth time. And in this way, you'll be able to keep the prayer meeting going longer because you'll find that you can build on each other's prayers. You'll find that, you know, someone will bring up something that you hadn't even considered. And then the Holy Spirit will bring another scripture to your mind that fits in with their prayer that they hadn't thought of. And so it's a really beautiful thing and it will allow you to have, you know, you think, how can I pray for two hours for revival every day? Like, aren't I going to start repeating myself? Yes. Well, <laughs> well, this is one way that, you know, the prayer meeting will stay alive. Um, this is another of small point so let's say you are having a two or three hour meeting you might find it helpful to take breaks like don't feel like you have to push through the whole two hours you know you might want to take a break every hour get up walk around you know have a cup of coffee and then you'll have like some renewed strength to go back and keep praying you want to make sure that people can hear your prayers so if you're in a room with loud air conditioning you need to pray loudly. You don't want to have your face down or have your face against a chair. Perhaps you're kneeling against a couch. You want everyone to be able to hear what you're saying because otherwise people can't follow you in prayer. They can't agree with you in prayer. Their minds will start to wander. You'll lose the unity of the meeting. Um, and another, another thing sort of related to this is to stay on focus for revival. So if you're having a meeting specifically to pray for revival, you don't want to go off track and start praying for, you know, 
your daughter's healing, your neighbor's salvation. Perhaps you could have like a specific time where you deal with all that. Um, you might want to just limit that to your personal devotions at home, but you need to have a clear focus. Okay, for the next, you know, hour, say, we're going to pray just for revival, and then we'll have maybe 30 minutes of prayer for specific individuals. Uh, you can do it in different ways. That's just one way you could do it. And uh, as Pastor Ray just said, you might find that you start repeating yourself, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So... Some people will say, well, Jesus said not to use vain repetitions. Okay, that's true in a sense. Um, like, for example, if you're literally saying the same words over and over for like 10 minutes. Um, but let's look at how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that Jesus came to his disciples who were sleeping, and he left them and went again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So Jesus went, prayed came back to his disciples, went back and prayed a second time, saying the same things, went back to his disciples, and then went and prayed a third time, saying the same things. So Jesus took breaks, and he repeated his petitions, and he was heard. So God hears us because of our importunity, in other words, because we keep asking him. That's what the parable about the friend who went to his other friend's house at midnight asking for bread it says his friend wouldn't even have given him bread just for his friendship's sake, but because he kept asking. So God encourages us to keep asking until he answers. That's found in Luke, the 11th chapter. Uh, he said, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. The one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are in bed. Well, because of the man's boldness, he gets up and gives him bread. And he's saying, this is how we're to pray. We're to ask, we're to seek, and we're to knock, and the door will be opened. Yes, and I wanted in our final minutes to give a couple more directions on the actual content of prayer for revival. So we have examples in Ezra nehemiah and daniel where people of god cried out to god for revival so we can look at how they prayed so here's daniel chapter 9 i set my face unto the lord to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes and i prayed unto the lord my god and made my confession and said O lord the great and dreadful god keeping covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers and to all the people of the land. So what you'll see is Daniel and the, if you also look at Nehemiah and Ezra, they lament over the sins of their nation. So they confess the sins of their nation, even though the people who committed those sins aren't confessing. They confess on the behalf of the nation and ask for God's mercy. So that's how we can do the same. Some things you can think about, um, I mean, the, the divorce rate is commonly cited, the number of children being born out of wedlock, 
the increasing flow of drugs, abortion, the increasing sexual perversion in our country, the rise in pornography, the rise in crime, the rise in sexually transmitted diseases, the encroachment of leftist secular beliefs into our schools and academia and our courts. There's a lot to confess to God, so I don't think that once you, I think once you really get on the theme of confession that you will find you can easily pray for at least an hour for revival. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. We've tried to be very practical today and talk about the reality that God does answer prayer but we can do things that will block him and make it impossible to hear from God. And we have to clear away those blocks. We have to humble our hearts and we have to get right with him. And we have to be washed in his blood. I hope this has been helpful to you. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. You can also email us or send us a message through our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can listen to this message again as well as past messages. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. And I'm Alexandra Greenlee. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. Somebody said business. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.